You're listening to Voices of Family, the monthly podcast series from the BC Council for Families. Each month, we bring you thought-provoking discussions with notable figures and frontline workers in the family service community. Voices of Family takes you inside family services to hear what's new and on the horizon, making life better for BC families. Welcome to Voices of Family. Earlier this fall, Jennifer Dales, Director of Planning and Projects, was in Victoria for a preview of the BC Council for Families' new documentary, Left to Live. While there, Jennifer had a chance to chat with Jennifer White, Assistant Professor at the University of Victoria, who was closely involved in the development of the video. We asked Dr. White to talk with us today about her work and research focusing on youth suicide prevention and her involvement with the DVD project, When You're Left to Live. The DVD is the result of a joint project of the BC Council for Families and the School of Child and Youth Care at the University of Victoria and focuses on the experiences of youth who have lost a parent, sibling, or friend to suicide. The DVD includes the voices of youth sharing their stories, as well as comments from Dr. White, about what learnings professionals might be able to draw from the video. Dr. White, thank you for agreeing to talk with us today. We know that you have a lot of experience working in the field of youth suicide prevention, but even with all of the experience that you have, was there something that surprised you or something that you discovered that was new when you first watched the DVD? Well, let me begin by saying how um, refreshing uh, of a project I found it to be because I think it's rare that we hear from young people themselves about what the experience is to lose a loved one or a friend to suicide. Most of the materials that have been developed in the area of postvention, which is what we're talking about, how to respond after a suicide, typically feature the voices of adults or experts or professionals saying what we should be doing um, with youth, and this was refreshing to me in that it was the wisdom of young people who have lived through the experience directly mm -hmm. telling us what are the things that helped them and what are mm -hmm. the things that didn't help. And mm -hmm. I was surprised in some ways, I guess, about the consistency with which the three stories elicited common responses uh, across the, the loved ones left behind in terms of the things that were helpful and the things that weren't. They even used the same language sometimes, prying. Yes. It, it was a consistent theme, sort of, that they, they were unhappy with invasive support, mm -hmm. but they welcomed sort of the support, which was a little bit, I guess, indirect or just gentler, maybe? I'm not sure. Yeah, and I was very it. struck by the fact that they really, almost to a person, um, kind of caricatured the typical counseling professional mm -hmm. who says, how are you feeling? And mm -hmm. they all said that that's not what they want. Um, they didn't want people prying. I think that was the language you're referring to. And they didn't want to feel that they had to um, divulge everything that they were experiencing. Mm -hmm. And the other thing that I was struck by is how much solace they took in being with one another. Uh, people their own age, um, and that they often said that that there was a, a kind of a heaviness, and I think it was mostly Nisha who used that language, mm -hmm. a heaviness around the adults, whether mm -hmm. it was her family members or other adults, and she wanted to be outside of that. Um, but I guess that the clarity with which they were able to describe their experiences um, and 
also the laughter um, and sometimes irreverence that mm -hmm. they spoke about the person who had died, but in a very playful, affectionate mm -hmm. way. Um, and so I think some of those things are surprises for, for those of us who often think it's such a serious topic. You wouldn't expect people to be laughing or you wouldn't expect people to be telling jokes. Right. Um, and I loved that about it. That they're finding ways to be happy in the sadness still. And and honor the person in the way that was in keeping with the spirit of that person's mm -hmm. relationship. Mm -hmm. So for example, Riley sounds like he was quite a character mm -hmm. and he played all kinds of um, jokes and did all kinds of things that were kind of outrageous. And so in the end, when he died, the friends honored him with equally mm -hmm. um, outrageous kinds of things like putting cigarettes in the um, um, casket mm -hmm. and things that they owed him money. And, and some might think that that's disrespectful, but the way that I read that and interpreted that is that it was absolutely consistent with their relationship with him while mm -hmm. he was living. And, and it extended their feelings of love for him. Out of context, it would sound like sort of inappropriate yeah. or so I, almost like a childish sort of teenage reaction mm -hmm. but in context when you hear the whole story it makes much more sense and, yes. and it's exactly the opposite of that. So. Yes and I think that that was what was lovely about these stories is that they showed us as adults and people who are in the youth serving profession the ways that we need to really respect and honor and appreciate what young people are trying to do when they've been faced with a loss like this, that they're mm -hmm. trying to find a way to make sense of it themselves. And part of what I saw them doing is to stay connected to Riley in, in some kind of way that mm -hmm. felt honoring and felt um, in keeping with the spirit of their relationship with him. So as someone who is a big advocate of youth involvement, and this seems to be something that you have um, been working on for many years, what can you say to professionals who feel like they would like to increase their involvement with youth or directly hearing from youth, but they're not quite sure how to do it? Is there anything that you could suggest or a, an approach that you take that has helped you? Yeah, I think, I think it's a good question because I think sometimes as professionals we're caught up in the belief that because we have expertise or we become increasingly specialized that that means um, that young people's knowledge can't um, be equally um, credible. Somehow it sets us up to be we have the knowledge and that means that theirs isn't as legitimate in some way. And so I think when we rethink the way we hold this knowledge, this expert knowledge, it makes space um, for the wisdom of young people and mm -hmm. that it can be a joint learning that mm -hmm. we don't have to have all the answers and we don't have to have all the right things to say that are mm -hmm. scripted and mm -hmm. rules and this is what you say and this mm -hmm. is what you don't say but more conversational and more being open to being surprised uh, and more asking young people well, well how are you making sense of it and how are you sitting with this and what do you think this means and mm -hmm. what do you think he would say or he or she would say if they you know, we're to have that conversation with you now. So it's it's an opening up um, and an eliciting kind of conversation as opposed to a telling right. or a doing to. And I think that's a big distinction between, mm -hmm. you know, um, learning with and learning alongside versus doing to young mm -hmm. people. And making sure that we're remembering that their input is so valuable even though it's not coming from an academic place or from all yes. of that, but that yes. it's, it's in a different and sometimes might be better. Yeah, and that's not to discount professional knowledge or to say that there might not be things going on in a young person who's grieving the death of a friend that are worrying, that right. we would want to mobilize our professional knowledge mm -hmm. and, you know, maybe make a referral to a mental health clinician or to some other um, helping profession. I mean, that's not to discount that, and I'm not saying that young people know everything and that's all there is to know, but no. I'm saying let's yeah. at least give some consideration to what they do know, because I think for the most part we've pretty much privileged adult expert 
professional knowledge. Right. So finding a balance yeah. in between the two. The other thing that I really noticed in the video was each person I think expressed or the majority of them expressed a need to really be told the truth mm -hmm. and they really wanted to know just the exact truth, um, business-like and the whole sort mm -hmm. of story and not be um, sort of sheltered and protected which as a parent, as an adult, I can understand the instinct that um, a parent would have which is to protect and shelter mm -hmm. the child mm -hmm. and so I guess parents are wondering how, how do they get over that sort of urge to, mm -hmm. to do that sheltering and why is it maybe not a good idea and why is the truth the better way to go? Mm -hmm. did, did you have any ideas about yeah, how to Yeah, and I've that? certainly worked um, over the course of my career with many parents in that very situation is trying to quote unquote protect their young child uh, from the truth of a suicide death of a family member mm -hmm. thinking, as you pointed out, that it's um, going to help things in mm -hmm. the long run and it's well intentioned and it's out of love mm -hmm. that they want to do it but mm -hmm. as you've said truth is always best um, and as I think the young people in the DVD pointed out when things start getting distorted or things where euphemisms are used or vague mm -hmm. accounts or mm -hmm. that it always 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 in every case comes back to bite mm -hmm. uh, I think um, and I think that giving young people uh, some credit uh, that they can manage the truth mm -hmm. and I think that that's what they said that they wanted. They wanted to be treated with respect and what that meant is that telling them the truth. Mm -hmm. And of course that means adjusting the way you tell it to the age of the person who you're dealing with. You would say it very differently to a five-year-old as you would to a 16-year-old. Right. But I think that there's still um, a real important um, emphasis on being honest. Um, and part of that is for parents to realize that their fear and their anxiety is probably um, getting in the way of them being able to express that. Uh, so whatever they need to do to have some support to do that or for them to get you know, some help about how they might say that. Because um, it is a difficult thing to say and it is hard to talk about. And mm -hmm. young people, particularly young children, are very curious. Mm -hmm. And usually the conversation doesn't end there. There's lots of questions mm -hmm. and so people have to be prepared to say what they can in a way that's meaningful to a child. Um, and I just think, um, as I think it, it was the case in Chelsea's situation where it was later that she learned her dad died by suicide when originally she'd been told it was an accident. Do you have any other advice that you would give to parents or suggestions about how they might talk to their children about suicide in general? Not, not necessarily when they've experienced a loss in that way, but just how they can bring up the issue, why it's important to bring mm -hmm. up the issue, and basically what parents need to keep in mind. Yeah, and you know, it's particularly poignant today, it's World Suicide Prevention Day that we're mm -hmm. speaking, September 10th, and so it's opportunities like this, um, where it isn't in response to a death, but there's right. a, a campaign around the world mm -hmm. to bring attention to an issue like suicide. So mm -hmm. today's a very good day mm -hmm. for people to have conversations about, well, why is it that 500, almost 500 people in British Columbia died by suicide? 4,000 approximately suicides in Canada mm -hmm. per year. One million people around the world. These numbers are pretty compelling in terms of the, the magnitude of the problem. And I think that these are nice entry points when there's campaigns or there's opportunities or sometimes mm -hmm. there's stories in the media for parents to talk about it with their young people to say, like, what do you think's going on? And what do you think that might mean? And what have you ever heard about young people that you know having made a suicide attempt? Or is it mm -hmm. on the radar of mm -hmm. the young people? Um, and, and to invite a conversation where some education can happen about depression and um, the role 
role of counseling and mm -hmm. options for people to get help for themselves. So it's not something really that uh, we should be so afraid of, I guess, is the message. There's a lot of fear that you don't want to bring it up, you don't want to plant a seed. Mm -hmm. And I think that we're trying to move away from that sort of approach in this field. Is that yeah, you know, I think we I are trying to um, take it out from the shadows, to use a, a well-used mm -hmm. phrase in Canada. We talk a lot about that in terms of mental health out of the shadow. Um, and I think the same to be said for suicide, is that mm -hmm. we don't want it to be a secret. We don't want it to be a shameful thing that people can't speak about, whether mm -hmm. they've experienced it themselves or a family member. Um, because most of all, we want people to know that there's ways that they can be supported uh, to engage with life and for those who have lost a loved one to suicide that there's ways that they can be supported to heal from that mm -hmm. in, in a way that makes sense for them and their context that honors their relationship with their loved one. So if somebody has feelings that this is something that they need to follow up on and that this is an issue that they're grappling with, where would you suggest that they start? Who should they reach out toward? Yeah, well here in British Columbia for example um, we have a number of different web-based resources that are really good places to begin. So, for example, the Ministry for Children and Family Development has a website. If you just Google Preventing Youth Suicide MCFD, you could get at it. And there's a lot okay. of information there, lots of links, lots of resources, lots of information. There's crisis lines in every community in British Columbia and across the country. Um, those are really good places to, mm -hmm. to start, and mm -hmm. they often take calls from people who are worried about someone else, so mm -hmm. you don't have to be suicidal to use it. Okay. Um, family physicians, always a good resource for people to know about. Mm -hmm. If it's a young person, the school counselor. Um, so I think the the main message is that there's always people that they can be directed to speak to if the first person they try isn't the person that's right. Um, but to not keep it to themselves and to mm -hmm. not feel like they have to grapple with it all by themselves. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that's a really important thing. And then here in Canada, we have the Canadian Association for Suicide Prevention. So people could also look up the resources there. CASP is the acronym. Well, thank you so much for agreeing to be interviewed for this podcast. And also, we wanted to thank you so much for participating in the project. The DVD project was a lovely opportunity to hear directly from youth. And I think that it's going to be a very valuable tool for professionals in the field. So we wanted to say thank you very much for your support of that project. And for people who are interested to learn more about the DVD, um, When You're Left to Live, you can check our website, which is www.bccf.ca, for more information about this resource. Thank you. That wraps it up for this episode of Voices of Family. Check the BC Council for Families website next month for another episode on the latest in family services at www.bccf.ca. To keep our series relevant and engaging to family service professionals, we're listening to your feedback from the listener survey located on the Learning Network webpage below the podcast player. Let us know your thoughts on this episode and tell us who you'd like to hear interviewed. Thanks and see you next time.